What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. This is the Ian Furness Show. Center field, hit well. Going back, going back, goodbye! Todd Frank dead central with a home run. A three for three night. Text us at 49451 and hit the talkback mic on the iHeartRadio app. Ground ball, this should do it. Toro over to first. There's your ball game. And the Mariners win it 4-3 to three to end a three-game losing streak. And they beat Texas for the sixth consecutive time. This is the new Sports Radio 93.3 KJRFM. All right, here we go. Tuesday edition of the program. Hello, welcome. Thanks for joining us. A lot going on. A little football conversation. Actually, a lot more football conversation than I originally planned. We'll touch in on the baseball team as well. I want to give away my Mariner tickets for tonight's game, too. So make sure you stand by for that. We'll do that in the 2 o'clock hour. Uh, let's see what else we got going on. A special guest at 2 o'clock. Welcoming back an old friend, which I'm excited for that, too. As always, Canzano filled with information and news today with uh, Puck and Jim. We'll get to that latter stages of this first segment or the second segment and discuss today as Pac-12 Media Day is Friday. So, yeah, whatever your taste buds might be uh, looking for on this scorching hot Tuesday, we got it for you. Let's get to headlines right now. Now, from the Star Rental Sports Desk, your 93.3 KJRFM Sports Headlines. Headlines brought to you by Venue Kings, VenueKings.com. Big news coming out of the National Football League. Ian Rappaport, our guy who will join us, by the way, on Friday and then again throughout the season as well from the NFL Network, the first to report that Chris Carson is retiring from the National Football League. Uh, five seasons with the Seahawks starting back in 2017. In those five seasons, Chris Carson racked up two 1,000-yard seasons. Neck injury will end his career. Sounds like the Seahawks are uh, doing the right thing along the way in terms of making sure that financially he's taken care of. They kind of probably worked out a deal, I'm assuming, behind the scenes. So uh, Chris Carson retiring uh, from the National Football League. We kind of saw this one coming. Uh, Carson just 27 years of age. Uh, Mariners last night got a win, ending their three-game losing streak, knocking off the Texas Rangers in the first of three. Tonight, they'll do it again, 7-10 first pitch. Uh, they did make a move today. George, George Kirby recalled from AAA Tacoma. Matt Brash sent back down to Tacoma as they kind of maneuver some innings there for Mr. Kirby. Uh, elsewhere in the world of sports, Cincinnati Bengals quarterback Joe Burrow had an apodectomy today. Ouch! Uh, but as uh, Rapp said when he reported it too, uh, better now than later on during the season. He'll be back after a week or so. Uh, the Big Ten commissioner, Kevin Warren, today saying they may expand past USC and UCLA. We'll have to wait and see what those teams and who those teams may be along the way. And uh, Kyle Shanahan saying in San Francisco today that uh, the Jimmy G era is officially over. They've moved on to Trey Lance. Doesn't expect him to even practice with the team anymore. Those are your headlines. Let's move into the show. One o'clock hour. Here we go. Uh, I mentioned an old friend's going to join us. Excited for that. And actually, the timing works out even... I don't want to say it works out better because it's not like it's great news today for Chris Carson, but at least uh, someone that can relate to Chris Carson's situation. I talked to Cliff Averill this morning. I said, hey, I'd love to get you on because I was looking back and through some of the numbers and and 
you know, one of the big questions we'll look at during training camp for the Seahawks is what will be, you know, what will the pass rush look like? And frankly, really, since Cliff got hurt in 2017, you know, we go back to 2016, they, they've only really had uh, one really prolific year in terms of pass rushers individually. Uh, Frank Clark had 13, Jaron Reed had 10 and a half back in 2018. Uh, Jamal Adams wasn't an edge rusher. He had nine and a half in 2020. And in fact, if you go through the years, it's been a huge question mark. Uh, Dunlap had eight and a half last season. Adams had nine and a half in 2020. Green, Rashad Green, Rasheem Green had four in 2019. I mean, think about that. He led the team. These are the leaders, by the way, for the Seahawks. These are the guys that led the team. Four, Frank Clark, 13, and Jaron Reed, as I mentioned, in 2018, uh, which was, by the way, the highest combined twosome in the history of the franchise, uh, was a great year. Before that, Clark had nine, Bennett eight and a half back in 2017. Cliff was hurt early in the season that year. And then the year before that, Cliff's last year uh, of being fully healthy, he had 11 and a half and Frank had 10. Uh, but really the last few years since Cliff has retired, since Frank Clark left, the pass rush, at least from an individual standpoint, has been non-existent. Will that change this year? Uh, we'll talk about that, but also talk a lot about Chris Carson. I'm going to get back to Chris in just a second. Mariners get a win last night. Um, nicely done. Hold on, 4-3. Find a way to get the victory. Uh, tonight, uh, they'll do it again against Texas. Uh, not much more to say other than uh, you know the, the you know what we saw last night, I guess what jumped out at me is something we talked with the boys about yesterday in the Molly Watt Monday. And that was this. There is... You know, there's a lot of things on this team that, that probably could be upgraded. But one of those things, even though they don't really have, I mean, they try with a couple guys, Castillo or, or Seawald, what have you. You know, they don't have the hammer go to 100%. He's our guy, ninth inning closer. Now, you know, Seawald in a high leverage situation goes earlier. Castillo's been better lately. But what was awesome yesterday was seeing the depth of that bullpen. Because you get a struggle in the ninth inning, you've already gone to Seawald, and then all of a sudden, what are you able to do? You go to Swanson, who comes in and four pitches later, uh, the game's over. Thanks for coming. Uh, fantastic, fantastic in so many levels to see that. They just they, they continue to amaze. They have no depth in terms of the lineup. Uh, we talked about it uh, in the Molly Wap segment. The fact that they're going with basically three second basemen or three inf middle infielders in your outfield last night uh, is, is troublesome, is problematic. We believe, we think, uh, Julio's back tonight. At least that's what service led us to believe yesterday. We'll see if that's the case. Hanniger's going to get some at-bats done in AAA. Um, but, yeah, it's the, the bullpen, which wasn't great early in the year, now has uh, has turned into something pretty special, and that was cool to see. And just a nice win last night. Uh, Three-game losing streak. At one point, you're trailing in that game. You, you know, ninth inning, there was a little bit of a threat. Uh, but you're able to hold on against a lesser team and, and get a victory, which was good news for Seattle. Baltimore keeps winning. Uh, as well, so you got to kind of keep your eye on them. They're kind of the Mariners of the East. Nobody, maybe nobody expected. It. In fact, people thought Baltimore's going to be awful. Seattle, obviously, people thought a little bit more of them. But we'll um, we'll we'll touch more on that perhaps a little bit later on. I'm going to give away tickets for tonight's game later on. I, I want to listen. Tomorrow starts our training camp coverage. Before I get into some college football conversation, uh, and I should mention four nine four five one Tullamore do text line four nine four five one when it's game time. It's Tully time four nine four five one Tullamore do text line. You can fire off your questions. Uh, on and just comments. Want to hear your opinion, your feedback? Four nine four five one on the Telemordu text line. The Chris Carson news today, while not surprising, it's still disappointing, and I think it's disappointing from the standpoint of 
knowing at least a little bit behind the scenes what this guy does and how hard he works. Uh, Chris Carson, he is really kind of the epitome of a guy that really made himself something out of not a lot of expectations coming out of college. Seventh-round draft pick, as we know, uh, ends up playing in 49 career games. Injured a couple years, played just four games his first year, played just the four games last year. In between, a little bit more durable than I think he gets credit for. Um, played 14 games in 2018, 15 in 2019, uh, the 12 in 2020. Um, but Chris Carson, he had the the task, the difficult and challenging task of coming in and replacing a living legend and an iconic figure in Seattle sports in Marshawn Lynch. And the thing with Marshawn, there was an Ichiro factor to him. You know, he didn't say a lot. Uh, just kind of walked around with a swagger, though. Had had this ability, and, and on the field was just so special. Ran with a passion. Um, there was kind of this mysterious element with him. Marshawn, though, make no doubt about it. I mean, he was just a he was a punishing, punishing runner. Well, in the Pete Carroll offense, Pete Carroll always wants to be a physical run team, not just a running team. Like you can be a running team, like Chip Kelly. And that offense that he has at UCLA, you know, I think one of the things that's sometimes right, that's a, that's a running football team. But you probably make it more of a finesse running team, right? Kind of more finesse. This is a running team that Pete Carroll likes to have where it's, it's power, physical, you know, punch you in the face football. And with that, listen, you, you, you need a guy that maybe if there is yards after contact to be had, that that guy can get it. Well, Marshawn did it better than anybody. Well, you go from that to Chris Carson, that's a big, big set of shoes to fill. And boy, did he ever. He was special. Chris Carson was really special. And while not as, he was never verbose. He was never dynamic in terms of his you know, speaking and look at me type of stuff. Just kind of went about his business. Uh, didn't have that same mysterious element that, say, Marshawn did. But he wasn't a real, you know, he wasn't a real talkative guy. Uh, so maybe I would say in some ways, maybe underappreciated a little bit. But man, this dude works so hard. You know, we're lucky because we're out at training camp and we do our show and we'll start tomorrow out there, by the way. We do our show right by the weight room and, you know, right by this huge facility. Anybody's been out the VMAC, especially for training camp, you've seen the weight room in there. And this guy was just a machine in there. I mean, he's just a workout machine. His body was just in impeccable shape. But, you know, the football gods, they, they don't care. They don't care what kind of shape you're in. They don't care how hard you work. Uh, they will bite you in the backside with unlucky plays and, and unlucky injuries, and sometimes it's just the, the wear and tear. And the way he ran, 247 carries in 2018, 278 in 2019. Guys, that's a massive workload in today's NFL. Like 250-plus carry rushers. There just aren't that many of them anymore. There's very few, in fact. That's, a, that's just an element that we don't see as much as we used to see in the National Football League. And that dude, for two, two straight years, put 247 and 278 up on the board, and every one of those rushes was probably a hard one. Uh, I just, I, I, Seattle will miss him. There's no doubt about that. Seattle will not, it, it will, this will not be a better football team without him. The next step along the way, which we'll find out tomorrow, is what is Kenneth Walker, Ken Walker the third, all about? What is 
Rashad Penny's future look like. But they will miss Chris Carson, man. They will miss Chris Carson. A lot of guys on social media have kind of tweeting out pictures and and different uh, highlights of his runs over the years. And I would just say sit back, enjoy, and and appreciate what thirty two did in this town because he just he busted his ass, man. He really he was a he was a man's man, a football player's football player. You know, you hear uh, Petros, I think, is on tomorrow with uh, with Fain, um, and, and Petros comes on every every Wednesday. I, I, there's a line Petros uses probably every couple weeks, actually, but I love it. You know, uh, God made football, you know, the way God made football uh, to be played, you know, with a fullback and physical and up the middle. Well, take the fullback out of it. Chris Carson was how football was kind of made. And in a day and age in which, you know, we're worried about CTE, we're worried about the physical toll it takes on on people, the, the, the game of football itself. Chris Carson ran with a reckless abandon and a physicalness that that set the tone for games. And I'm sure defensive guys will talk, we'll talk about that with Cliff a little bit. You know, Cliff played with him for, uh, I guess, just about one year, I think. Uh, Cliff was around him. Uh, but Cliff knows this guy. We'll ask him. I uh, just I, The guy ran with a real physical presence, and uh, he'll be missed. It brings us to one of the training camp questions, which we'll start addressing tomorrow. We'll be at the VMAC doing our show tomorrow, starting at 1 o'clock. Uh, by the way, those shows uh, every day will be simulcast on Fox 13 Plus uh, from 1 to 1.30. Before practice starts, practice for the most part starts at one thirty, one forty-five, or sometimes 2. So uh, before things get going, we'll be simulcast. Aaron Levine will join me along with uh, Curtis Crabtree or Alyssa Charleston uh, out there, and we'll kind of discuss about what uh, what to look forward to and what the, the storylines of the day are. One of the things that went on in the offseason when the Seahawks drafted Ken Walker and they re-signed Rashad Penny, everyone immediately said, well, that's that's probably signals the end of of Chris Carson. I don't know if they knew what was going on then. I'm sure that there was certainly a, a concern about Chris Carson. They'll talk about the depth that it gave you in the running backs room. I would I would put myself in the category of I'm not as concerned about the running backs as some would be. I would I feel actually okay about the running backs with obviously the the caveat of of can Penny stay healthy. By all accounts, they might have got the best running back in the draft in Ken Walker III. Uh, I, I'm excited to see what he brings. There's only so many carries in a football game. Now, here's the big all-caps if. If those two dudes are healthy, that's a pretty good tandem, Penny and Walker. In fact, that's a really good tandem, Penny and Walker. The, the Rashad Penny situation, the question is, is he going to be, and is he, is he Mitch Hanniger? Like, is he Mitch Hanniger? Talented player, but just is not on the field enough. And with Penny, I, I, I want to give him the benefit of the doubt. I, I hate the term injury prone. I think a lot of people toss that around. I, I, I just sometimes you're just really unlucky. Like sometimes things just happen. You know, an ACL injury is not injury prone. You blow your knee out. That's not injury prone. That's just bad bleeping luck. That's what that is. The problems after the ACL and how you kind of deal with it or, you know, a broken this or something like that. A lot of times those are the offshoot of that ACL and coming back from it, favoring one leg, pulling something along the way, one part's developed that isn't, whatever the case is. I think guys will tell you, orthopedics will tell you that that just, that sometimes that's an offshoot of it. What we saw last year with Rashad Penny, when healthy, a 225, 230 pound running back that is physical. And also, one of the fastest running backs 
in the National Football League. One of the fastest players. Can pick him up and put him down, but also big enough to break tackles. A game changer. A game-changing kind of talent. And yes, no, I'm not blindly naive. I truly believe that this guy, if healthy, will be a top 10, top 7 running back in the National Football League. And then you add into that a rookie who many people thought would, you know, was the best available running back in the draft. And and for those who want to downplay that in today's NFL, Puckett went through the 2017 draft of running backs uh, earlier in his show. And man, it was a who's who of all pro and pro bowlers. Like, like, and they were drafted early. You know, the Dalvin Cooks of the world, the Christian McCaffreys of the world, the Leonard Fournettes of the world. Those guys are all difference makers. Alvin Kamara. Those guys were all drafted in the 2017 draft early in the draft, first three rounds. Well, Walker could be a guy. Could he be an impact guy? Absolutely he could be. Sure he could be. And if him and Penny are healthy, and, and I almost feel I feel like I'm just opening myself up on the text line, 49451. Fernesh, you're an idiot. Why would you think Rashad Penny's going to stay healthy? I, I, I don't think that. I hope that. I hope he stays healthy. What would give me a little bit of confidence that he can stay healthy is probably what happened at the end of last season. Because at the end of last season, Penny was, I mean, frankly, he was a beast. I mean, and, and they worked him. I mean, I, 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 to this day, I think what they did at the end of the year with him last year, I think they wanted to see if he could stay healthy. I think they kind of, it was like a, a four game tryout, maybe even a test in some ways. You know, what can you do in these final four games, final five games, whatever it was? I mean, I think, I, the, way, the amount of carries that he had in those games, I think, was huge, and I think that's what gives me that's what gives me hope with with Rashad Penny, is that what he did at the end of last season, in terms of the workload that he got. I mean, you look at the at at the number of carries he had down the stretch, you know, especially that last week. He went from the first game back, after being inactive, he had just ten carries, but then he went sixteen, just eleven against the Rams. The 11 against the Rams, a deceiving number, though. i got to point that out. I think it was three, and it might have been even four, but I believe at least three significant runs in that Rams game, which was a 20-10 to 10 loss, were taken off the board with penalties. A couple of them, a couple of those penalties were, I, I would use the term, questionable. Uh, he had more carries than that. He just gets credit for the 11. 17 against Chicago, and here's where it got interesting. 17, 25, and 23. So he's averaging well over 20 yard, twenty carries a game in the final three weeks. That's what gives me hope for, for Rashad Penny, that he went through those three games, and I don't care who you're playing. 135, 170, 190. And keep in mind the 190 game against Arizona, that's a team that was playing for something big in terms of playoff positioning, seeding, division title. They could have had a hope for that. All those things could have happened. So... I hope Rashad Penny stays healthy. And if he does, he ain't going for 150 every day. But if you can count on, say, 15, 13 to 15 carries from Rashad Penny, another eight or nine to Ken Walker, that's a good tandem. And that takes a little bit of pressure off of an offensive line that's going to be young, takes a lot of pressure off of a quarterback situation that is far more questionable in my mind than a running back position with those dudes. All right. Uh, we'll talk more about that with Cliff coming up. I mentioned uh, the audio. We're going to get the Canzano audio next segment, J- Jacob. We're going to play that. Uh, John was really good today, as he is every week with with Puck and Jim. Uh, comes on, talks about what's going on in the Pac-12. Pac-12 Media Day is Friday. 
And we'll hear what John has to say coming up next about you know, what George Klyovkov's message will be, what's going to happen there, what's going on in that regard. There's so many things that, 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 that will be interesting on Friday. But he also talked again about the future of what the, the league and the conference might look like and also the broadcast rights. And I really want to spend some time talking about that because I'm about as old. Well, I know I'm old. I'm about as old as it gets in terms of how I want to digest my products. I like television. I like cable television. I like being able to flip back and forth. I'm not a huge fan of streaming services unless I'm watching a series. Just finished Ozark. Fantastic. Kind of kind of treated it like a fine wine, just kind of sipped on it for a few months. But as those things were taking place, as I'm going through all of that, I, I don't like switch I like to be able to switch back and forth on watching sports. But I think we are going to see a change. And if that change means things like Friday night games, Thursday night games, early games on Saturday, even the God forbid I hate it, the, the 9 a.m. start on a Saturday, whatever it might be. Whatever those changes might be, if it means the survival of this particular conference, then you know what? So be it. I'm all in. I'm all in at that point. Uh, but John has some really interesting things to say, as he always does. We'll hear from him coming up. We'll comment on the other side. Something good about 150 today. And at 2.05, we'll check in with our good friend Cliff Averill. Our final day in the studio. Well, I mean, we'll be here Friday, but uh, final day in the studio for a little while because training camp starts tomorrow. So we'll be at the VMAC most days. Anytime the Seahawks are practicing, we'll come back. Here from John Canzano, the future of the Pac-12. What is the latest news? He's got that for us next, 93.3 KJRFM. Tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial, LLC, member SIPC. Hear us anywhere, anytime on Alexa or Google Play at Sports Radio 93.3 KJRFM and on the iHeartRadio app. Now back to Ian Furness. The uh, preseason All-Pac-12 Conference football team is out. Next segment, I'll tell you who's on there, but I can, I can give you the, uh, the a little teaser. The Cougs and the Huskies each have just one player on the first team. One Coug, one Husky, one on each side of the football. We'll tell you about that coming up at about 1.45. So I'm on a show yesterday, 49451, by the way, 49451, that is the Tullamore Dew text line. I'm on a show yesterday in, out of uh, Waco, Texas, where Baylor University is located. And so I'm doing the show with the guys. The Smoke Brothers, I kid you not, S M O A K, and they are some sort, some version of a of a distant relative to Justin. Uh, the Smoke Brothers, another gentleman. We're on, I'm on the show with these guys yesterday. I'm talking to them. We, they're very curious about what's going on uh, because Baylor is kind of in one of those positions that say, you know, Wazoo, Oregon State, kind of are as well. You know what what's going to happen with the future of your conference, the future of your program, where you, you might be, and. You know, we spent a lot of time talking about it. I, I do find it interesting that here's Baylor that is coming off a basketball national championship a couple of years ago, a football program that's kind of on the rise, and they're kind of feeling the pinch as well. Everyone's kind of feeling the same unless you're USC and UCLA or already a member of the Big Ten or the SEC. 
You're feeling the stress and the pressure and the pinch of what's next. Whether you're an administrator or a fan, you're feeling that pinch. You're feeling that pressure. What's next? The fear of the unknown. Well, the guy, there's really, there's two guys that have been on top of this thing from the start. John Wilner, who will be on, I believe, later today with Fane. I believe he's on every Tuesday at five. And also, of course, John Canzano from down in Portland as well. Former Oregonian writer's out on his own now doing his own thing. He's on with Puck and Jim every Tuesday at 11 o'clock. And he had some interesting things to say today. Take a listen. but just a few minutes of, of, I would call, the best of Canzano from today. Because a lot to chew on, a lot to discuss on the other side. Canzano talking about, especially the start of this week. Because on Friday, it's Pac-12 Media Day. Well, first he's going to stand up there and he's going to try to cast some confidence and you know he's going to do what other commissioners that have already done, talk about everything that's great, but I need to hear the plan. And I think he's in a position here where normally this stuff is kept quiet, but I think Klyovkov's got to share a little bit of the plan or at least the thinking that goes into it. That's why I think it's going to be the most attended, most watched uh, commissioner conference in this media day season. Like, you know, Kevin Warren was out there today talking about how they're in New York and LA and Chicago. They got all the markets captured. Kriopkov's got to lend some insight into what he is thinking. How are they going to wiggle out of this? Because it's what his members want to hear. It's what fans want to hear. And the brand of the conference is at stake right now. And, and, you know, I wrote today that this isn't his fault. He inherited this thing, uh, but he's got to stand up there, and I think he's got to do more than bang the drum. I think he's got to give us some insight into some of the outside-the-box things that are on the table or, you know, the good options that they have. Well, what are some of those options? And I think he has to include fans and media like their stakeholders a little bit. Hmm. Hey, John, do you think the 10 remaining teams in the Pac-12 are as unified as we're led to believe? I think they are to a certain extent. I think if Oregon and Washington bolt, I think it falls apart. I think if we get a surprise, a disappointing surprise in media rights negotiations, it could fall apart. But I think, you know, I was talking to a firm that is one of the data and analytics firms that the Big Ten works with, and they saw this, they forecasted this happening, not not realignment, but the, the separation of the SEC and the Big Ten, we saw this a decade ago, right? This, this was already happening. So uh, I think as long as the Pac-12 can get close, and by close I mean I need to see a media rights deal that starts with the number four uh, when we're talking about distribution. So I need $40 million to every member. And, and I think the Pac-12 could get there, but I think they're going to have to sell everything. I think they're going to have to sell the network. I think they're going to have to sell out and say, we'll play 730 games. I think they're going to have to say, hey, we'll play on Thursday if you need us to play on Thursday. But I think they need to sell all of their inventory uh, in this cycle, not keep anything for the Pac-12 network, let it go away. Uh, and I think if they can get to that point, Jim, I think I think the 10 remaining members would be ecstatic with a $40 million a year distribution. That's what they were projected to get with USC and UCLA being part of this deal. How much do you think is Amazon in play here? Uh, I think they're totally a player. And, and if Gliotov comes from that Hulu world, he was at NBC Universal. He helped form Hulu. So I think he's, you know, a couple of the ADs I've talked to said he's really outside the box. And I think he's going to stay and play outside the box. And if you don't do a deal with Amazon, you're at least using them. So I think we could see the tier one rights resolved here in the coming seven or ten days. 
but it's that other stuff, that streaming stuff, the ESPN Plus versus Amazon versus Apple, who's going to get the remaining games? Where does the Pac-12 network end up? Like, could he sell the Pac-12 network to Amazon? Could they take it over? Uh, I think all of that is on the table, and I will not be surprised if the Pac-12 ends up in a really unique distribution place using some platforms that others are not using. Hmm. I thought it was interesting, a question you got in your mailbag about unequal media revenue sharing. And, I, I mean, right now, let's say $40 million per school in the 10 remaining teams in the Pac-12. Uh, how do you think that would go? I mean, I, I know that there'd be some in favor of it and some not, but uh, how, how would they rank all those schools and, you know, who gets what? I think... The, you know, we talk about unequal sharing. You know, it's why USC and UCLA were not happy. At least that's what they're saying. I think the bigger issue was that the media rights deal in general was just not enough to compete with $75 million a year, $80 million a year that they're getting in the Big Ten. But, uh, you know, it's, we're really talking about Oregon and Washington. And then uh, we're talking about Oregon State and Washington State as those that would, would have to be giving up. Uh, revenue, and you know they're the, they're at the bottom end of the of the totem pole, so to speak. And so, I I think what we could see, I don't think the members would vote to give an uneven share of their tier one rights to Oregon or Washington. But I think what we could see is we could see a formula where if you make the playoff in your Washington, your Oregon, your Utah, you don't have to share that pay- payday with nine other universities in your Pac-10. You would then, uh, I think, in an unequal, uneven revenue-sharing model, I think you would say maybe you get 50% and the rest of the conference splits the other 50%. It's very incentivized, but I just don't think the Tier 1 money, I don't think you can make decisions if you've got Pat Chun, the AD at Washington State, in the room with Rob Mullins at Oregon, and Mullins is getting $10 million a year more in media distributions from the deal, I think you have a hard time being in the same room for over an extended period of time. So I think it could be really incentive-based, and it could be based in uh, production. If you make the playoff or you make a bowl game, you get 50% of that payday. Some interesting stuff there. Uh, a lot to chew on. I, I know that the revenue part of it, the revenue sharing, probably is not a, a great interest to a sports radio um, uh, listener right now. I, I'll just The one thing I'd add to what John said is, there is no doubt, and, and I know this because when when they formed the formed the Pac-12, and they brought Oregon, uh, Utah, and Colorado into the league, I always I chuckle. God, I forget what I had for breakfast yesterday or dinner, or what have you. But there's little things I do remember, and I was because it was a very significant day. We're in the old studios. Bill Moose was in, and I remember he was he was kind of pounding the chest, going, "This is a great day because not only are we adding two great schools to the conference in or in Utah and Colorado, but." With the new deal on the Pac-12 network, the revenue split is now equal among all. Well, at that point, it was equal among 10, a smaller cut going to the two schools for the first couple of years, and then eventually an equal cut going to all 12 schools. And because before it was based on how many times you're on television, where you're on television, are you on a big network, a small network, wherever it might be. And as we're going through all that, you know, Listen, UCLA and USC, especially USC, they would benefit greatly from that. Washington, when they were in their heyday, would benefit greatly from that. They'd, and they, you know what? And there's part of me that thinks they should benefit from that. They should get more of a, a cut because if you're if you're the one carrying the freight for the conference, uh, to the benefit of everybody else, you probably should get a little bit more of a split. You know, I mean, it's it's this isn't this isn't all this is not a socialistic uh, a socialist uh, 
set up, but it kind of was. So what we should be seeing is there should be a little bit more of an incentive for those schools. At the time, I know remember Moose was happy. I'm sure Oregon State was happy. Everyone was happy because, hey, you know, even if you're not on ABC's Game of the Week at the time or whatever it might have been, you're still benefiting from USC being there uh, in the first few years. Well, that probably shouldn't have happened. It's a huge reason, and you know, John alluded to it. Well, you know, one of the reasons USC and UCLA are upset. Well, of course, a huge reason they were upset because they were no longer getting more than everybody else. There's a fine line between that, though. There is a little bit there because I think there's this great assumption that the two schools that would just never be able to help the conference are Oregon State and Washington State. I can't speak on Oregon State. I can speak on Washington State and not as a Cougar. I can speak on it just in terms of what the television numbers tell me. And the television numbers tell me this. Washington State will do well in television ratings. They will do well. Better than the Bay Area schools, unless Stanford plays Notre Dame, and I don't think you can use that as an example because they play Notre Dame and it's a different deal. They'll do better than the Bay Area schools. They'll do better than Arizona. And I dare say they might do better in Arizona State because you know, nobody cares about that glorified junior college down there in Phoenix anyway. Too many transplants. So, yeah, I'm, I'm all, even as a Kook fan, I'm all for giving more to those who earn more. If it's Washington, great. If it's Oregon, great. Keep the conference together. I'm all for that. The Klyovkov News Conference on Friday is going to be really interesting. What's he going to say? What's he going to come out and do? He has to come out and has to have a plan, as John said. He's got to have a plan. He has to come out there and be on the offensive. Otherwise, the conference is officially done. It's going to be a very big day, pivotal day for this conference, huge day for this conference on Friday. One more thing to touch in on this, and we'll wrap it up. We'll also tell you who made the Pac-12 all-preseason team. I'll just say slim pickings for our two local schools in this state. We'll do that next. 93.3 KJRFM. Hear us anywhere, anytime, on Alexa or Google Play at Sports Radio 93.3 KJRFM and on the iHeartRadio app. Now, back to Ian Furness. Well, it's USC's world. We're just living in it, even here in 2022. Uh, All Pac 12 conference football team announced just a short time ago Caleb Williams, his first team quarterback. Uh, Jordan Addison, Addison and Mario Williams are both first team wide receivers. There's only two, and they're both of them. Uh, add into that uh, an offensive lineman. So four four USC Trojans are on the first team All-Pac-12 offensive unit on the defensive side. And by the way, Jackson Kirkland is the only Husky who was named preseason first team offensive lineman. Uh, for the Huskies, he's the only first teamer on either side of the ball for Washington. On the defensive side, let's see, let's count up one... Uh, well, interesting. Only one USC player on the defense, a bunch on the second team. But uh, on the defense, no Huskies on the first-team defense. One Cougar, Ron Stone Jr., the uh, defensive lineman. So only uh, only one Husky, Jackson Kirkland, only one Coug, Ron Stone Jr., are on the first-team uh, offense or defense. Cam Rising, by the way, your second-team offensive quarterback, uh, as well as Travis Dye. Remember, he transferred from Oregon down to USC. He's your second-team running back, along with Byron Cardwell, who's now a duck. Imagine if that would have been a one-two punch uh, along the way. Uh, ZTF is a second-team defensive player for the Huskies, uh, so he's on that list as well. I don't think any second-team Cougars. Just double-checking. Yeah, no, a bunch of honorable mention guys 
uh, along the way. Actually, I, I was wrong. Uh, Dean Janikowski is a first-team kicker uh, preseason, all Pac-12. Does it matter? No, not at all. Go out and win games. Uh, Pac-12 media day is coming up on Friday. Before I get to something good here in a second, I just, one other thing I'm going to wrap up with uh, with our conversation. And I'd love to know your thoughts on this, 49451. It's almost like, you know, what, what concessions would you – what concessions are you willing to live with as a as a, a college football and a Pac-12 fan, whether you're Husky or Cook? What concessions are you willing to live with? One of the things I've hated over the years, I just despised it. I, I, I've i been really, the thought of a 9 a.m. Saturday game, I've always hated. I just think it's way too early to play a football game on the West Coast uh, or with West Coast teams. That might be something you have that I have to stomach. Uh, I'd hate Thursday games. In fact, I, I will always hate Thursday games. If that's the concession I got to make, so be it. Same with the Friday game. In fact, I like Friday games more than Thursday games. And yeah, I mean, I understand it's somewhat reserved for high school football, but hell, in our state, there's a ton of high school games on Thursdays and Saturdays anyway because so many teams don't even have their own stadium. Kent School District shares a stadium. Sarah uh, has four teams for one stadium. They play on Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Highline, same way. Kennedy plays most of their games on Saturday at home. Uh, and you go throughout you know, Seattle School District, you know, wherever the hell they're playing at. I mean, there's a lot of Saturday games. There's a lot of Friday games. There's a lot of Thursday games in high school football. So I don't think the Friday night uh, lights situation is what it used to be. I think Thursday is just an abysmal day for a football game. I think you have to be more judicious as to where you have those at, i.e., like having it in Pullman makes no sense on a Thursday when people have to go over there on a Wednesday or early Thursday morning. You're missing two, three days of work. Uh, if it's a, com- a commuter school, in a sense, in a big city, Seattle would fall in that category. Eugene's close enough to Portland, so is Corvallis to fall in that category. Bay Area, nobody cares anyway, so who cares? Uh, Arizona State falls into that category. Maybe it's different. Um, but I just I, th- I think that has to come into play. But you know what? If that's what we got to stomach, you got to stomach that as well. And the other thing is, is in the whole television situation of where the games are going to be, there is no doubt, and I'll spend some more time probably tomorrow or later on the week talking about this, there is no doubt the biggest issue that we've had with this conference in terms of revenue, in terms of where we are right now today, in terms of just in terms of just promoting the conference, putting it on a national stage, the Pac-12, Net, Pac-12 network was quite possibly the biggest failure of this conference in the in, in in its history, maybe. Not only a lack of revenue that was promised, lack of distribution, lack of ability for the entire country to see it. It just did not work in any way, shape, or form. And if you can partner up with us with ESPN, that's great. If you have to partner up with Amazon or a streaming service, I don't love it. I'll, I'll stomach it. I'll deal with it. We'll all deal with it, but I don't love it. Like one of the things you need to have is if you're out and about, you're outside of this market, ESPN and ESPN two for a West coast time slot. That has to be something that you're all over. That has to be something that you own, and I hope they do. That's what gives me hope is that West Coast time zone for ESPN and ESPN2 could be all about this conference, and that gives me hope because that's then on every television set across the country. That has the potential to be in every bar across the country. You want wide-ranging eyes all across the country? you got to have ESPN. you got to have ESPN2. Okay, let me get to something good, Jacob, before we get to the top of the hour. We uh, we had the, the Mayor of Maple Valley open on Friday, and I've kind of uh, I've I've been this will be taking place for a while, 
so you're going to have to bear with me. But it's it's something good all the way around. Uh, we're just kind of doing the thank yous all on the way. We thanked uh, the golf course yesterday, Druids Glenn, and my man Tom Shees, who's, of course, the great pro out there and was such a great uh, host for us. I want to thank someone, a, a, a small business here that has helped us out a lot. Uh, and it's Athletic Awards. Probably for the last, I'm just thinking, six, seven years. These guys have provided at least six years, maybe even seven of the 10 years we've had this. Uh, Athletic Awards, uh, Dave and his crew down there have provided the trophies, the plaques for the winning teams, first and second place on each side. Uh, They're located in the South Lake Union. They've been there for 65 years. They have trophies. They have awards. awards. If you have a company, you're looking for promotional items for your company, they're the place to go. Athletic Awards are located uh, again, locally here, they stayed in business throughout the entire pandemic, all the stuff that's going on. Go support my guys at Athletic Awards. Uh, they've been doing stuff with like the hydroplane races forever and everything else. They are about as local as local gets in terms of small businesses. Uh, website, athleticawards.com. Easy to remember that, athleticawards.com. Go check them out. Whatever you might be looking to get done for your company, Maybe it's your kids. Maybe you're looking for trophies at the end of a youth sports season. Doesn't matter. These are the place. These are the guys to go to. They will take care of you. They'll help you design it. I mean, like I got a, I got the old logo from the Mayor of Maple Valley Open done probably nine years ago uh, by a, a young woman that used to work here and starting her own graphic design business. And these guys have taken that, kept the, kept that logo. They do a great job with it, man. They're so easy to work with. So again. Big thanks to Athletic Awards, athleticawards.com. All right. We'll take a break. We'll come back, reset, get back to the National Football League. Big news today and for the Seahawks on the eve of training camp beginning. Chris Carson has retired. And I asked the question, everyone like, oh, what, what about the quarterback? What about this? Hey, man, my question is, what about the damn pass rush? Because since our last, uh, our next guest, since he retired back in 2017, it, it with the, with the exception of Frank Clark, it's been non-existent. So we'll talk about that. My friend Cliff Averill, he'll join us talking all things Seahawks and a little perspective on Chris Carson. Cliff Averill coming up next.